was reading this week uh, a story. I'd run across it before, but read a, read a cool article about it. It says this. It says at 5.18 p.m. on a cold and dark November evening in 1965, uh, New York City went black. So did some 80,000 square miles of New York State, most of seven other states, and most of Canada's province of Ontario. The lights went out in a moment, and the, the power stayed off for almost 13 hours. Uh, what the cause was, uh, there's, there's still debate. There was never a clear indication. But needless to say, millions of people living in New York and the surrounding area had no lights and no power, and many of them were stuck uh, for the night in the subway train stations and office buildings and tunnels even under the East River. That blackout meant that some 200 planes that were planning to land at New York's Kennedy International Airport had to be rerouted to airfields that actually still had lights on and power. Overall loss in business due to the blackout, which lasted, again, up to 13 hours, was estimated to be $100 million in 1965. What do you think that might be today? That's big money, right? Huge. $100 million. Some examples, a tire company, for example, lost $50,000 worth of tires when, they, uh, when the power failed during a critical curing process. A car manufacturer had to throw away 50 engine blocks because the high-speed drills froze up while trying to bore pistons. Uh, bakeries in New York alone reported a loss of 300,000 loaves of bread, which were spoiled when the power went off. The power went off for quite a while, left people stranded, afraid, sometimes lost at different times. People were trapped and didn't know how to get out. There was great loss. Millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of damage was all lost because the city lost its power supply. Well, we are on our sixth and final week of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called Passionate Christianity. And it's a series that we've been doing, trying to paint a picture in today's world, right, of what does it look like? What does it mean to live our lives as disciples of Jesus? We talked about in week one, right, that that's, that's the call of every, of every person, right, is, is that we would become disciples of Jesus Christ. And we said, well, that's a fancy word that oftentimes we don't necessarily know what that means. We don't know what that looks like. And so, for six weeks, we've been looking at a different kind of part of that every week and saying, what does it look like? What does it mean for us to be disciples, for us to live as disciples? And what we've talked about is we've been defining a disciple by passions in their lives. We've said uh, there's six kind of passions that tend to characterize biblically what it looks like to live our lives as a disciple of Jesus. The first week we talked about uh, disciples are people with a passion for Jesus. We said that's the number one, that's the foundation of their lives. It's the driving force of, of who they are, what they want, what they dream about, think about, right? That kind of thing. It's the driving force in their lives. They're passionate followers and lovers and worshipers of Jesus. It's who they are. Second week we went on and talked about that the disciples are men and women and boys and girls with a passion, not just not just for Jesus, but also to see Jesus' mission lived out in this world, which we said uh, is all about seeing people that are outside the family of God come home, right? Hear, hear the good news about Christ and come back into his family, find forgiveness and new life uh, that Jesus died to, to give them, right? And so, so people uh, that are disciples have a passion for Jesus, a passion for his mission. The third week he talked about, they have a passion for becoming like Christ. We talked about the whole Michael Jordan phenomenon, right? Be like Mike. Everybody wanted to be like Mike in that day. And it's, it's sort of the natural uh, outflow of what happens when we put Jesus as the number one in our lives. We're gonna want to become like him. 
because he's good and perfect and there's a lot to, there's a lot to like, right? So we went on the fourth week and talked about uh, that, that disciples of Jesus are, are, are men and women, boys and girls with a passion for service. And we talked specifically that week that we, uh, that we have been given gifts and talents and abilities all to be used for building up the body of Christ, all for building up the church, which is, which is the organization, if I can use that term, that Jesus created, right? It's, it, it's made up of, of us, of believers. And he said, man, uh, I've given you specific talents and abilities and gifts that are to be used to advance my purposes in this world, to build other believers up, to help them grow in Jesus, to see the mission of Jesus move forward. And we need you in the game, right? It's a, it's a passion of a disciple. Uh, the next week we talked about uh, not just uh, that, that that service is not just service inside the church, but that uniquely God does something in us where he calls each one of us as Christ followers. He calls us. There's some very strong scriptures on this. He calls us outside the doors to serve and to love and to make a difference in the life specifically of the poor, the marginalized, the needy, those who are in need. There are more verses in the Bible that talk about caring for the poor and the widow and the orphan. There's more verses that talk about that kind of stuff than faith, hope, and love combined by a factor of three. There's thousands of verses. It's a huge deal. There's no such thing as a disciple that doesn't care about the poor, right? That doesn't make a difference in the poor. And last week we had the cool opportunity to actually live this stuff out together, right? So that was, that was a pretty sweet gig. This week, I want to wrap it up by talking about the sixth one. And I have to say, this is one of those areas that it'd be pretty easy to look at the previous five weeks and say, man, that's a pretty good picture, Right? If, we define, if we define Christ followers, if, if we define disciples as people with a passion for Jesus, a passion for becoming like Jesus, a passion for uh, the mission of Jesus, and a passion for serving right, the church and the poor uh, for Jesus and in Jesus' name, that's a pretty holistic picture. That's a pretty good picture from the Bible of what it looks like to be a disciple. And yet, I have to say, if we stop there, it's a little bit like the picture that I, uh, that I, that I painted for you of, of New York City with the power unplugged. If we stop there, I, I fear that we've got only a partial picture and, and a picture of following Jesus that, uh, that really lacks power, that lacks some of the transformation uh, that, that, that we need to see, that we want to see. I think it lacks some of, uh, some of the, uh, the big picture of what... Uh, of, of what church was meant to be, of what following Jesus was meant to be. It lacks some of the supernatural. Without this key component in our lives, we will more than likely settle for sort of an empty shell of religion rather than becoming the kind of passionate followers of Jesus that we're intended to be. The missing piece that I'm talking about has to do with a passion for what I'm calling a passion for and a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, without, without our cooperation with him, we tend to lose power and focus and joy in our lives. It's like somebody pulls the plug. We tend to struggle with the same sins day in and day out for lifetimes, right? For a lifetime. We tend to just keep going on the same path and doing the same thing and really live in lives that are really focused on me and mine and nothing else beside that. We kind of just stay stagnant. We stall out. And it does tremendous damage in our lives. 
Today, I just want to walk you through a few scriptures about this uh, topic, and, and there's, a, there's a path that I'm taking you on, so just kind of journey with me, if you will. But I want to start with Acts 1.8. It's sort of the great commission in Acts. It's um, kind of the mission that was left behind to the followers, and this is, this is the way it says it. Acts 1.8 uh, says this, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Let me read that again. It says, but you will receive, what does that say? Power. Let me just try this one more time. But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's set in the context of the mission of Jesus, right, that we talked about uh, in week two. But look, where, the, where does the power come from? The power comes from the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, if there is a power that is available to you that comes only as you cooperate and live in and are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Without the Spirit, we have no real power. Great damage gets done. People will feel hopeless and afraid. People will stay stuck and lost. It's just bad news. Friends, you and I are made for more. We're made to live with the Holy Spirit's power and presence in our lives. It's where life is at. That's how life works best. Jesus, in fact, thought that, that the work of the Holy Spirit was so significant, so significant to us and in our lives that this is, he sort of makes a jaw-dropping kind of statement. This is what he says. Listen to this. It's from John 16. It says this. He says, but now I am going to him who sent me. Jesus is saying, I'm returning to the Father. But none of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, he says, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But listen to this. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, it's a nickname for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, just think about that with me for a second. The disciples have spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus for the previous three years, and they've seen some jaw-dropping kind of stuff. Isn't that true? I mean, can you imagine? They, I mean, they had a front row seat to see Jesus, the Son of God, right, do some amazing things. And they've experienced it up close and personal. Some of, some of them have experienced it, like, right in front of them, sometimes to them, right? I mean, w w in moments where somebody was sick, they saw Jesus step up and he brought healing, right? I mean, in, in moments where there was a storm and all these fishermen were scared to death, Jesus spoke and calmed the storm. I mean, can you imagine? This, they've seen this stuff. They've experienced it themselves. When there were thousands and thousands of people that were hungry and in need, Jesus fed them with a few loaves and a few fish, right? He, he miraculously multiplied, so it was more than enough for the needs. At one point, uh, one of Jesus' friends, one of the disciples' friends, right, had died. Jesus spoke and rose them back to life again. Can you imagine? They've seen this stuff with their eyes. I mean, you can imagine. I mean, man, I would want to, I mean, be like, man, Jesus, we'll follow you anywhere, right? You, wherever you go, we're there. Like, who else can do this kind of stuff? He brought confidence and life and power, a sense of the supernatural. The way he taught even about the Father was unlike anything they'd ever seen or heard before. And, but Jesus comes to this part and he says, you know what? I'm going away. 
And I mean, you can imagine, I mean, this is a jaw-dropping moment for the disciples, right? Where they're like, gonk, what do you mean you're going away? Uh Uh-uh, we're going with you, right? We're together, man. We're like little family here. This is the good stuff, Jesus. And he says, then he he gets to this part, which I just think is, this is the jaw-dropping part of the whole thing. He says, it's actually for your good. You'll be better off without me. Because if I go, I will send the spirit who will come and take up residency in your life. And his work is so significant. His, he will bring so much power into your life that it will actually be better for you than if I was there in your midst. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would be like for this, those disciples? He's, that, that's what Jesus believes about the significance and the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going away, but it's actually, you're better off without me because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and his impact and power and influence will be so significant that it'll be better than actually having me there with you. Friends, living life in cooperation with the Spirit is absolutely critical to becoming the kinds of Christ followers that we are meant to be. There's no such thing as a disciple that isn't passionate about and, and being filled by and led by and submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's crucial because the Holy Spirit brings life. The Holy Spirit brings conviction and wisdom and power and fullness and Christ-likeness and focus to our lives apart from his work. And without our cooperation with him, we'll never experience the kind of lives or become the, the kind of Christ followers that God longs for us to be. It's that important. Now, let me just make a a, a quick distinction here, if I can, before we go further. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of each and every person that has received Christ as their forgiver and their leader, right? If if you are here and, and you at some point during your life have said, man, I am a wreck on my own. I am tainted by sin. I, the trajectory of my life was going down and to the left on my own. And I hit, at some point I hit bottom. I looked upward and I cried out, Jesus, would you come and would you forgive me? Would you come and move into my life? life. Would you lead me and guide me and be my God from this point forward? If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus like that, then the Bible makes it abundantly clear at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes, is sent and comes and takes up residency in us. Ephesians 1.13 puts it this way. It says, now you also have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Holy Spirit is a free gift that's given to every person who trusts in Jesus. The Spirit comes into your life and will prompt you and direct you, will convict you sometimes, will nudge you in the direction of Christ-likeness, will nudge you in the direction of the mission of Jesus. He's trying to, to grow you up into a passionate follower of Christ. He's constantly trying to shape your heart and shape your character to become more and more like Jesus. He's trying to bring out love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, all these, all these attributes in our lives. That's his responsibility. And Jesus promises to you and to me that the Holy Spirit is there if we put our trust in him, that he is working to that end in your life. I have to say, 
We don't have time to go into it a lot more. I did just, uh, I think I threw up on the next slide if you can. I said, man, if you have more, if you want to find out more about what Jesus promises, about how Jesus describes the person and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, for us, you should read John chapters 14, 15, and 16. He's, he's got a whole truckload that he says about it. This is, this is where the, he, it's kind of his dissertation on this kind of stuff. You should read it, write it down, take it home, look it up, read it for yourself. I have to say, you, uh, there's a ton there, but the, in, in its essence, the Bible promises that all who have put their trust in Christ will receive the Holy Spirit, and his job is to teach us and to remind us and to bring transformation into our lives. It's, it's amazing stuff. But here's what I also want you to see. The Bible also makes it abundantly clear that you and I are partially responsible for the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We're responsible for cooperating with him, for relying on him, for following his, his promptings and his direction and his working in our lives. We can either block what he's doing and go our own way, or we can cooperate with him. Galatians 5.16 puts some commands behind this. It says, so I say, walk by the spirit. Another translation says, live by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of your flesh. He's saying, live by the Spirit. God says, obey him, open yourself up to him, follow his promptings, walk in his footsteps. When he nudges you, obey, live by the Spirit, cooperate with the workings of the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says this, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve, apparently we can grieve the Holy Spirit by how we live. When we disobey him, when we turn away from him, when we ignore his promptings, when we go our own ways, when we, we kind of turn our back on his leadership in our lives, when we ignore that little twinge of conscience that says, don't do it, or even that little twinge that says, hey, do this, and we don't. When we do those things, we grieve God. We grieve his spirit. I ran across a study from a few years back uh, by a guy by the name of George Barna, and he's a pollster. He does tons. I mean, he's one of these guys that just puts out tons of data, and he's always studying the church and, and things like that. But this, this particular poll, uh, he studied all kinds of people across the country, both Christians and non-Christians alike, and, and he took a close look at 152 different parts or different areas of their lives, different categories of their lives. And he was looking for behavioral differences between the two groups. What, what kind of things do we see that are different in, in Christians that, that, uh, and different in non-Christians kind of things? Where do you see each one? The, the thing that was shocking and uh, disturbing, I guess, all at the same time, is out of 152 categories that he searched and looked at Christ followers and those that weren't yet Christ followers, he said, you know, I can find no statistical difference between the two groups in the way they live their lives. No, I, I read that, and first of all, that, that messes with me deeply. But he's like, I could find zero differences statistically. Now, when I think about that, I think, well, why is that? I mean, has the Holy Spirit lost his power? Is that, is that, the, is that the solution? Is he, any able, is he any less able to transform lives today than he was some 2,000 years ago? Is that what's going on? Has the Holy Spirit, is, is he less willing? Does he care about us less than he did about the first century uh, world? No, I don't think so. Not a chance. The Holy Spirit is still living and still active all over the world. He's still filling people with power. He's still drawing people towards Jesus. He's still bringing about Christ-likeness in people's lives. Do you know what this study tells me? It tells me that you, know, you and I, I think the church in America, for the most part, 
is, not, is really just not cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit. We tend to be fairly comfortable using the biblical term. We seem to be pretty comfortable grieving the Holy Spirit of God. We've made a lifestyle out of it. We've created a religion in which we ignore him and just do whatever we want. We sit in church, you know, maybe once a month or whatever. We, we plop a few dollars in the offering plate. But in the day-to-day moments of our lives, when he is trying to guide us, when he's speaking to us, when he, when, when, when he wants to direct us and lead us, we turn our back on him again and again and again and again. We are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. We are practicing saying no to the Spirit and yes to ourselves. We're practicing not cooperating with God. And as we do this, I think, man, our hearts and our souls probably become a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder. We tend to, we start lacking more and more understanding. We start drifting further and further from God until we don't really feel anything much anymore. We don't really sense the Holy Spirit's work inside of us much anymore. Ephesians 4, which I spent a ton of time in this week, paints a picture for us of what happens when we grieve the Holy Spirit, what happens when we say no to the Spirit and yes to, uh, to our own, ourselves and our own sin and our own wills and that kind of stuff. And it says this, listen to this picture. I just want you to look, just, just let it paint a picture for you. The author says this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He's talking about a picture of people before Christ or outside of Christ. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And then he goes on and ends this, this section in verse 30 by saying, so therefore, do not, don't go in that direction. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't, don't just open yourself up and say, yes, I want, I want the forgiveness of Jesus, but I don't want to really follow the spirit of Jesus. He's like, no, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because it, it, it's a path to, to nothing good. He's painting a picture for us of what happens when we say no to the spirit again and again and again. Apart from the life in the spirit, we think wrongly, he says. We're darkened in our understanding. It literally means that we, we're lacking spiritual knowledge or insight. We're not thinking straight. We don't see the spiritual realities that are all around us. He, he paints a picture says we're separated from the life of God when we do that. Our hearts become harder and harder. The word literally means marble. Our hearts become like marble. And soon we lose all sensitivity, meaning we, we just have no feeling at all anymore. Friends, when we are not filled up by the Spirit, we don't think properly right? We become spiritually blinded. Our hearts become harder and we turn away from God. And eventually we just, we just become numb. Now you tell me, why is it that in Barnabas poll that there's no significant difference between Christians and non-Christians? Friends, I think we've become like, like what the passage is describing. We become spiritually blinded and hard-hearted to the promptings, to the workings, to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've learned to say no again and again and again. And that's why God, by the time you get to verse 30, God says, no, right? Enough. Stop. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Quit saying no. It doesn't lead down the road that you want it to. 
It's going to destroy you. It's going to cloud your mind. It's going to harden your heart. It's going to separate you and and take you further and further from God. It's going to make you numb, always thirsting for more, but never finding what you're longing for. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, he says. Don't go down that path. But he, he, he goes on to say, but instead, be filled by the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Live by the Spirit because those things lead to life and fullness and joy and peace. Galatians 5.22, I love the picture that paints that God paints of what happens as we continue to just keep in step and walk with and abide with, if you will, just kind of stay in step with the Spirit. It says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace or, uh, and patience or forbearance, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, and self-control. Did I, did I skip one? Maybe goodness I skipped, but are you reading it? I better read that again, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or means kind of patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, have, have killed the flesh with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep walking with the Spirit day by day, moment by moment, following his leading and looking to him for filling. Friends, that's the life that God is bringing you and I to, one that's characterized by his presence. And he says, man, when I am present, that's what it looks like. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Can I hit the pause button for one second and say, would those that are around you say that that's what they're seeing out of your life more and more and more? Would they say, man, the fruit that, the fruit that I see coming out of your life is, man, you are more loving today than you were yesterday. You are, you, there's a joy that exudes from you that I can't explain. There's, the patience that you exhibit when you're in traffic, I've never seen that before. Yeah, there's a gulp on that one, right? <laughs> Love and joy, that's kind of fun. <laughs> patience, not so much, right? Kindness, goodness faithfulness, self-control. That's another one that's not real popular. Man, the way, the level of self-control, discipline that I see coming out of you, man, it's supernatural. Would you say that's, that's what people are seeing around you, that they see the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you? That's the life, friends, that God brings about as you and I learn to walk and to keep in step with the Spirit. He'll transform you and teach you and fill you with his love and his joy and his peace. But that life is not one that you can just earn on your own. It's not something that you can will into being. It's a life that was purchased for you by Christ. And it's a life that is empowered in you because of the Spirit that he sends to live inside of us, to strengthen us, to nudge us, to remind us that that's where life is at. All you need to do is listen and cooperate with him and he will bring that fruit to bear in your life. Ephesians 5, 18 says this. It says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It means kind of indulgence and sensuality or, or seduction away from virtue or duty. It says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to, to sin, is basically what he's saying. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, God's making a contrast here. Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, I lived in northeast Wisconsin for 14 years uh, where 
probably alcoholism is at the max, I mean, in, in the region. Every, I mean, alcohol consumption in Northeast Wisconsin is off the charts. And so I've seen a lot of drunk people in my life. <laughs> I don't know about you, but let's just say, let's just say for, for our purposes that somebody that was drunker than a skunk is walking down the aisle here this morning and came and sat down right up here in the first row. Do you think you could tell that they were drunk? You think you could? How so? How so? How could you, how could you recognize it? Smell. Smell? What else? Stumble. Might stumble slurred speech. So what they say, how they, how they walk even. What else? Might fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. But like, it would be visible. It's pretty evident. Sometimes they talk louder, right? Sometimes they slur their speech. Sometimes there's whatever. Sometimes the things that they say are do or, or do are a little inhibited, right? And, and so you, you'd be like, man, something's off here. Something, it's evident to everybody around, man, this person is drunker than a skunk. I don't know why, where that phrase came from. Are skunks drunk a lot or something? I don't know. But anyway, like, right, right. I mean, it would be evident. And, and so God says, you know, in the same way, right, that you can see and recognize and spot when somebody's drunk. He says, let me tell you what, instead of, instead of going on that path, would you instead be filled with, or literally it means get drunk on the spirit. Would you, would you be so consumed by the spirit of God that you, that what you say, how you walk, what people can see in your eyes, the way you communicate, that everything about you is just communicating, man, this person is of another world, right? The spirit of God lives in them. There's something different about this person than I've seen before. Truth be told, if I can just say this, it's why I'm in the kingdom. I came to Christ because I met somebody like this. First, first time in my life I'd ever seen somebody that was living for Jesus, that was filled with his spirit and the way they loved, the way they spoke, the way they cared for people around the kindness of their own soul. I had never seen anything like that in the pre- my previous 18 or 19 years of life. I'm like, this is, this is unbelievable. And I'm like, if that's what a Christ follower looks like, I'm in. I, I want to follow Jesus if that's what it looks like because it was something different. They were consumed. They were drunk, so to speak, on the spirit. They were under the, the uh, oh, I can't think of the right word, but under the control of the spirit. They were um, under the influence, I guess I should say, of the spirit of God. And it's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's what a disciple looks like. It's the good stuff. Friends, disciples are men and women, boys and girls, with a passion for obeying and following and depending on the Holy Spirit in their lives. They spend time learning to listen to the whispers of the Spirit. They're in process of of training and learning how to say yes to him and no to some of the things that take them away from him. From little things to big things, they're practicing and learning to say yes. God, if, if you want me to share with somebody, the answer is yes. Right? Doesn't matter what it is, I'll share. If you want me to serve somebody, the answer is yes. If you if if you want me to give to somebody that's in need, the answer is yes. If if there's a sin in my life that needs to be confessed, the answer is yes. If there's something that I need to give up for the sake of following Jesus, the answer is yes. Again, they, they do this moment by moment by moment by moment. They're learning in the little things. They're training themselves to be godly. They're training themselves to follow and to submit to and to cooperate with the promptings and the work of the Spirit in their lives. Do they screw up? Do they sin? Okay, that's lame. 
Do they? Do we? <laughs> Absolutely. And yet even there is an opportunity for the spirit to work because who convicts the world of sin? Who convicts us of sin? It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us and it's an opportunity. Am I going to cooperate with or am I going to grieve the Holy Spirit of God? We can be quick to turn back to God to confess and say, God, would you forgive me? I've blown it. I've turned away and then step right back into relationship with him. Every moment is an opportunity to either cooperate with or to grieve the spirit of God. People that are passionate for the spirit are are in process. They're learning, they're training themselves to follow the leading and the direction of the spirit in their lives. They're seeking daily to get filled up by him. Most mornings you can find uh, these disciples on their knees, right? Crying out for God, uh, opening up his word, learning to hear his voice. Oftentimes these disciples will spend time listening and trying to respond to the promptings and the leadership of the spirit in their lives. Let me just hit, hit pause for a second and just say, again, would you say that this kind of passion for the spirit's work, it, can, would you say that that's, that's true in your life. If so, way to go, right? <laughs> Let's continue in that direction more and more and more and more and more. And if not, the question, it's not a guilt trip kind of thing, but if not, like, are there some course corrections that we need to make to make sure that we're not living our lives with the power cord unplugged, but that we are experiencing and living in the fullness and life and power and peace and joy, connection with God. Are we living in the fullness of those things by keeping in step with the Spirit, by being filled with the Spirit, by following the direction of the Spirit? Let me do some application and we will uh, wrap it up for today. And I just you know, kind of put them this way. The first one is I just say, open up. I mean, some of us, uh, for some of us talking about the whole Holy Spirit kind of thing, uh, we come from backgrounds that don't really talk about that kind of thing. And so this might be pegging our weird meters, right? You're kind of like, yeah, I'm not so sure about this whole, this whole kind of thing and voices in your head and all this kind of stuff. This is just crazy talk, crazy talk. And I have to just say though as well, man, if we ignore this subject, if we stay closed off to it, we are li- we're living our lives quite literally without power. I was thinking this week of so many examples, but the one that really struck me is uh, the Apostle Peter, um, right? I mean, one of the disciples and uh, ends up becoming the leader of the church. But you see uh, an unbelievable transformation happen in his life in just a matter of days. I mean, he still lived with Jesus for three years. He still loves Jesus. He's still following him. But when the time came for Jesus to be crucified... What happened to Peter? What happened to Peter? He denied him. He couldn't even stand up literally to a little girl around a fire. He was a coward. He turned around and ran away. He wouldn't even admit that he had been with Jesus, let alone was a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Three times he denied Jesus and then he ran away and wept. Fast forward literally only a few days, a number of days later, you see the same man standing up in front of thousands, proclaiming, 
right? The good news about Jesus, about his life and death. He even accuses the crowd, which is true and true of all of us, for being the ones that killed Jesus, right? And that God raised him up to life again. I mean, this kind of thing. He, he boldly stands in front of thousands and proclaims that he loves Jesus. He's following him and he proclaims the way of salvation. 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. I look at that and I think, what's the difference? He, both, of these, both of these examples, right, had been with Jesus for three years. Both of them, right? They, they'd seen amazing things. They'd heard amazing things. The difference over here is that, first of all, uh, maybe two things I'll say, but first of all, they have seen this full circle. They've seen Jesus rise from the dead, which is a, a game changer. But secondly, he has been filled with power from on high. He has been filled, as Jesus said, with something that's better than Jesus himself. He's been filled with the spirit. The spirit empowers him. It's like plugging him in for the first time and God uses him to transform the world. Guy ends up gladly pouring out his life, even dying for the sake of Christ. It's an amazing transformation, but it happens as we open ourselves up. I get that it might peg our weird meters a little bit, but would you start learning to even just, what if God still does speak like that? What if the spirit really does want to lead you and direct you? What if he's trying to get your attention throughout the day? Would you be willing to just open up your heart, open up your mind just a little bit and just pray, God, would you come and fill me and lead me and guide me today? I am yours. With your help, with your power, I'll follow you. Man, I wonder what God would do in us if, if we would simply do that, if we just open up to him a little bit. Oh boy, better keep going. Second, um, second thing is, is fill up. And uh, forgive me for the lame uh, titles, but it just struck me this week. Um, actually, you can see this uh, throughout the book of Ephesians, but also in John 14, which I kind of use for a guide for this message. But being filled with and led with the power of the Spirit in our lives is linked in those places with the Word of God in prayer. People that are disciples of Jesus are going to Him to get filled up. They're going to Him to drink and to be filled by their Spirit and then sent out uh, to, to live for Him throughout the day. If we are not seeing or experiencing or knowing much of God's spirit in our lives during the day, can I suggest to you that maybe, just maybe, we need to hit the pause button in the morning before it starts. We need to open up this book and learn to hear his voice in its pages. That we need to, to hit our knees before we, we go anywhere and just say, God, would you fill me and lead me and guide me? Would you, would, I'm yours, I'm in. I was struck uh, this week as well um, in Luke uh, chapter 11, verse 13. Uh, Jesus is, is teaching about prayer and that kind of stuff. And he, he makes this example. He says, which of you dads, if your kid asks you for bread, is going to give him a snake, right? Or, or, or something else. Oh, who's going to give him a scorpion if they're in need? And he, he, he ends by saying, if you then, though you are evil, though you are sinful, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What if, what if it's really as simple as what he says? What if we were to start bowing our knee in the morning and saying, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me? Father, would you, would you fill me with your spirit today? And would you lead me and guide me throughout the day? What could God do? What would he do?
as we stay plugged in with him, as we are filled up with him. Third thing is to train up. We've been talking about this uh, quite a bit today, right? It's it just, what if we were to start practicing putting those nudges and those leadings and those promptings of the Holy Spirit into practice in our days. Now, I'm not talking about going off the deep end here, but if you have a, a little nudge in the back of, your, if, back of your brain that says, hey, there's somebody in need, you should help them. What's the worst thing that could happen if you did it? You'd be out a few bucks, right? What's the, wor- what's the best case scenario? Is that the living God just spoke to you and directed the course of your life to use it to impact somebody else's life for eternity. Is that not, not a big deal? Man, what's the downside? So often it's stuff that doesn't even cost us that much. I'll get a prompting to pray for somebody. What is it going to cost you to go and pray for them? Now, again, we use God's book as the, uh, as the uh, filter, right? But if, if you have a prompting that aligns with God's book, what if we were just to practice and to train ourselves to say yes to God as a way to submit to and keep in step with the Holy Spirit throughout our days? Uh, fourth one. I'll just say is this. Oh, I, I should mention before I get to that. Um, one of the things that we did this week, uh, we had the kids, uh, I mentioned earlier, make uh, packets for homeless people. And uh, we, I told you this earlier, but we're, we're going to do something different this year. Rather than just, um, rather than just give them to a, a, a shelter or something that works with homeless people, we thought, well, what if, what if we put them in your hands and so I'm going to encourage every one of us that's here today to pick up a homeless packet. They're in the, in the entryway on a table by the door. Pick one of those up um, on your way out. Each person, throw it in your car. And as a way to kind of practice and to, to kind of train ourselves, I'm wondering if you would be willing to pray and just sort of open up and sort of listen and look for opportunities that God might give you to bless a homeless person. Um, sometime in the next week or two. We've got bus passes in there. We've got, I think, some food and some clothing and some things to read. And I can't even remember what all we put in there this year. But uh, some of those kinds of things. But the, I think homeless, homelessness in general, even poverty, is one of those things that oftentimes we are training ourselves to ignore God on, right? We're like, don't make eye contact. Don't whatever. If I do that, I'm going to have to help them or I'll feel bad. So I'll just kind of shut them down like they're not even there. What if instead of that, we were to do the opposite and say, God, would you give me an opportunity? today to help somebody that's in need? Would you open my eyes to see the way you see? And would you specifically prompt me about somebody that I can give this to? What if we use that as part of the training? And then when he prompts you, do it. Stop, pull the car over, go have a conversation, say, man, this is something our church is doing just to let you know that you matter to God. This is for you. I mean, imagine what God could do with that as we learn, as we are trained and learn to do that in our lives. Fourth thing is just to free up and that's just to, to free up some space to learn to hear and recognize God's speaking and God's, God's work in our lives. One of the things that, I mean, I'm a doer by nature. I like to get stuff done. I like to check things off the list and push things forward. One of the things that God is continually prompting me on and just uh, nudging me on is just to, to, to unplug a little bit from some of the busyness and some of the phone stuff and some of the whatever and create some space where I can just be with God and where I can just hear from God. And it's something I try to build into my daily routine sometimes with greater levels of success than others. But I'll, I'll spend some time reading God's book. I'll spend some time praying for, for things that are on my heart and with my family, with the church and uh, all that kind of stuff. But then when I'm done with that, I try to just 
quiet myself a little bit and just say, God, is there, is there something you want to say to me today? Is there a way that you want to speak to me? And sometimes, truth be told, it might just be me. It might just be that I'm on to the next thing or whatever. I don't wait long enough. Sometimes I don't hear anything. And if so, I just thank God for the time and I move on. But sometimes there are moments where God will speak and not like audibly don't, I don't need to get emails about this or something or referrals to counseling or anything like that. But, but sometimes, right, the living God speaks and sometimes he'll bring a, a verse to mind that'll be something that I didn't even see coming. <laughs> like, and I'll be like, man, it's exactly what I needed to hear. Sometimes he'll bring it to mind and I'll think, I wonder why he's bringing that to mind. And then sometimes later in the day, there'll be a situation where I'll need it. It's a, way that the, it's a way the Holy Spirit speaks. It's a way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Sometimes he'll bring somebody to mind that I'll pray for and maybe check in with later in the day. And I'm amazed at how often people will be like, man, I needed that today. I needed, I needed to know that God cared enough that he was directing people to pray for me. Because <laughs> oftentimes there's stuff that you don't even know about, but when you call or you email or whatever, people will be like, man, I'm having a sucky day. And I needed to know that God cared and was orchestrating stuff. I mean, sometimes you get to, I mean, sometimes I'll get ideas for messages or directions for ministry or for my family. Something will come to mind. It's always the best ideas, of course, right? It's the good stuff because it's from God. I mean, I'm amazed at just what happens when, when, in those times when I can successfully carve out some space, push back the demands of the day, push back all the crazy stuff on my to-do list or whatever else, and just sit and be with God. Not only am I filled with his joy and peace, not only do I get to experience him, but sometimes I get to hear from him and I get to learn to hear and recognize the whispers of his spirit. Friends, disciples of Jesus are people, men and women, boys and regular people that have a, a passion for Jesus, a passion so much for him that they want their lives to become like him, right? That they want to serve uh, and use their whole lives to bring him honor and glory, to see his purposes advance, to serve the poor, to see the church and the mission of Jesus move forward. But they can't do it on their own. These, These are men and women like you and me that learn as well to be filled with his spirit that train themselves and learn to hear the whispers of his spirit and they learn and practice saying yes to him so he can do amazing work in and through them. And they free up some space. They open up his word. They hit their knees asking him and learning to hear him and learning to to be directed and to live their lives in the fullness that he, he created us for. Let's close in prayer. God, that's our cry. I uh, forgive us for, for uh, knowing so little of this practically, God. Forgive us for so often just uh, life is about me and is about mine. And ways that I am, I am and we are blinded or hard-hearted or ways that we are just too busy and we just miss out on your promptings and your leadership in our lives. God, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? And Lord, this morning, I just hear your word saying to us, just come be filled with my spirit. Come and be led by my spirit. Come and uh, stay in step with my spirit. God, that's our desire. I thank you that because of Jesus, you make your spirit available to us. Lord, teach us to live in the fullness of it. Would you come and fill us in a special, powerful way this morning? Would you, uh, I don't know, take the, 
the junk that clogs up our ears and the, 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 the scales from our eyes and just have them fall to the ground so that we can see you and know you and hear you more. God, we need you. Would you come and lead us now? Would you come and make your presence known? Pray even as we take, uh, take these packets and stuff over the, the next days and weeks um, that we would really get to hear you leading and directing. We could see you, you know, directing us and hear you prompting us to connect with people that need it. God, in whatever ways you want, we just say, come and use us, come and fill us, come and direct us. We are yours. We're all in. Come have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.